Hey, this is Brandon Emma Richardson, and we are the pastors here at Slate Church based in Waterloo, Ontario, and this is our Sunday podcast. We really hope this message inspires you to lean into all that God has for you. If you would like to get connected with us, follow us on social media or go to slatechurch.com. And hey, it helps us a lot if you would rate, review, subscribe, and share this podcast. Join us for today's message. Yeah, so I think that the depth of the Child Again series, um, there's so much content that could be. We could, you know, go so deep into this. It's all about identity, and we're trying to think of a different way to just drive this idea home that one of the most important things that we can maintain on this side of eternity is our identity found in God as a child of God. And so this is essentially my testimony in video form, and hopefully through my vulnerability, somebody else can find their own identity as a child of God. Yeah, so I grew up in Coburg, Ontario. It uh, has 18 and a half thousand people. Uh, the half of a thousand is really important for everyone in Coburg. It was a pretty um, typical Ontario rural small town. And I just remember it being a fairly safe place to grow up. Um, but also a fairly boring place to grow up. Brandon had a very easy way with other kids and brought them in. And I've had parents come up and say, you know what, you're, you're raising three good kids. And more importantly, like, you know, they really treated our son really well and, or a, my daughter really well. And that happened on, an, on, on quite occasions. He was a very easygoing child. He loved being, being around his dad, um, wanted to, always be with us. So I went to play ball hockey, he had to be there. And uh, he'd sit there for an hour and a half and watch us play hockey as a two-year-old. Yeah, growing up as a kid uh, in Coburg, some of my fondest memories were just getting off the bus. Our bus would drop us off a couple blocks away from our home. I picture it like the sun, sunlight, the sun rays are just beaming. I'm running off the bus. Mom opens up the door, gives us a big hug. Um, that's kind of how I picture it. Um, now as I visit it as an adult, I'm like, this place is the most beautiful place. I, I totally took it for granted. It's got a beach, it's got forests, rolling hills. It's an incredible, incredible place. There's something about returning back to the place that you both felt so safe and so vulnerable all at the same time. It's like this area was where I always felt the least safe on my own, but the most safe with my, my family and my parents. And, and the reason it's so significant for me is because this was the time of year I was always gearing up for large accomplishments in my life. Fall has a smell, and I know, or a scent. I know a lot of people kind of um, relate to that. If you just talk about the fall scent, it's interesting because it's just like, it just brings you right back to this time of the year these memories. This is the, uh, the track that I grew up training on. This was, uh, <laughs> it's funny to look at now, but this used to be the big leagues. 
my cross country coach, uh, Mr. Crooks, would stand right over there in the corner with a stopwatch and be just yelling at us. You want to peak later? You want to peak later? Every single practice I like, every single practice was just all out, all the time. So I can just remember I hated losing even a sprint. Even though we were running like five and seven K, we do 100 meter sprints. I was like, there's no way anybody's beating me. This is one of those places that Again, I didn't really realize it at the time, but this is where a lot of my comparison to everybody else, other people started. It's where all of a sudden I started finding my worth and value and making sure that I won. Like everything I put my hands to, I had to like be the best at it. It's where I felt a lot of expectation. I remember all day in school, like for the entire day, if I had a track practice after school, I'd be like sick to my stomach the entire time. Couldn't really understand why, but my anxiety just like reached an all-time high. It had a lot to do with the fact that I grew up with OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, and a lot of the the thoughts and the tr uh, the train of thought, the circulating patterns of, of thinking, and um, just leave you feeling incredibly alone. When I was by myself, it was the only way I can describe it is that there's often times where I felt like I was a prisoner of my own mind. I just remember, like, I would black out on this track. I would run so hard. And so I just pushed myself to the point of throwing up and passing out on the track. But I mean, it was kind of like a cool crew because in all of high school, the guys that I hung out with, they're like just the best guys that you could have ever wanted to grow up with. All of them have gone on to be engineers. I became a pastor. So when we get together, often I'm like interested in their worlds, but they're like, what I'm doing is so far out of, out of their experience. They want to know what's going on in mine. And I think that just, there was a lot of resilience that was built on this track and in this area. It was like a band of brothers and we loved each other. We had a ton of fun. But it's interesting, I'd be curious to know whether or not they struggled at all, considering how much I struggled. And they didn't, they wouldn't have known how, how confused I was internally. And just how anxious and, I mean, one of the things I've had to lament in my adulthood is just, I mean, I loved my childhood. I loved, um, I love my parents, especially the vacations we went on. I had an amazing home. And I don't even know how to describe it, and I'm sure this is something I'll continue to work out, but as much as I had, like, As much as I had like a great childhood, it, part of it just feels like, why was I so anxious the whole time?
Before I fell asleep, would fall asleep at night, I would have these, these really um, intrusive thoughts, really um, um, thoughts of disgust and that sort of thing. And as I was struggling with it, and as I got to the point where I just couldn't keep up with the pattern of behaviors, it would keep me up an hour or two or three hours into the night, it felt. Um, and so I would cry out in the middle of the night. I was aware that Brandon was, was dealing with um, spiritual challenges. Um, I seen it as um, you know, an attack from the enemy, like he was being attacked and, and um, he was coming under fire. Like he was, had some bad, he would cry during the middle of the night that you know, he'd have bad dreams or bad thoughts like the, the devil was putting in his mind or, or, or he was conjuring. A lot of the thoughts that I would have, I was so afraid that in my sleep I was gonna wake up walk to the kitchen, grab a knife, and kill my brother who I shared a room with without my knowing. This just came from like mixed match information that people sleepwalk, people do things in their sleep that they can't do. What's the worst thing that I could ever do? And I, my brain brought together this concoction of thoughts. And I'd go in and pray with him, and um, you know, he'd settle down and he'd fall asleep. And he'd fall asleep um, quite easily after that. But he, was, he battled for, for years with um, things that he thought about or things that bothered his mind. Dude, it's like emotional. I wasn't expecting this. I was expecting to just explain where I'm at now. It's like number one, I don't need to just like break down for the church to get what they need out of this. It's hard, like, how lonely this season of my life was. You know, I remember before I got into high school, one of my teachers telling me, if you ever make it out of high school, you'll be lucky. Like, what is that? And so the way that manifests in my life is I'll prove everybody wrong. Like growing up with heightened levels of anxiety and and definitely worry. I mean, growing up with obsessive compulsive disorder OCD, um, I had a disproportionate amount of worries that I carried around with me as a kid. And as much as I could maintain a normal exterior, interior, my interior was kind of filled with half-truths. This whole area, this whole trail, this is where I go running, this is where, um, you know, I ran every once in a while, I ran once by myself and I got bit by a dog. And uh, I remember having to run to my friend's grandfather's barn, Cap's barn, and uh, he chased the dog away after it took a chunk out of my leg. But most of the time I ran this trail I ran with my dad, and um, he just helped me sort some of the so many of the things that I went through. And I guess at the time I didn't realize didn't realize it, but my dad was helping to kind of safeguard my childhood and help me to just live a non-anxious life as a kid, even though you know it'd be years before I felt you know freedom from all that.
I know. It's like they all came out for the movie. Yeah. There's a documentary on the road. <laughs> we should all... show up. That's right. This is a route that we would we would do uh, how many times a week? Four. About four times a week. Four times a week. This is where we start worrying about the dog that's going to attack us. <laughs> but yeah, we would run this four times a week between grade four and grade 12. So that yep. was. And it would be 5.3 kilometers. We'd do it under 23 minutes, or I would. It'd be a lot less than that. <laughs> yeah. I think Brandon and I's relationship um, started when he was walking and just wanted to be with me when I used to clean carpets for an apartment building. and. We had a great relationship. We did things together. And that was, that was one of the things that I chose to, to want to do with our families, make sure that we did quality time, quality things together that were impactful, that, that we'd have memories. So Brandon really cared about what his dad thought, and he really respected his dad. I think that Brandon has a, an ability to see people's stories and then see how they um, either rise or fall with their own past and history and story. And I think so much of that respect for his dad comes out of a place that his dad had challenges in childhood and with his family and different dynamics. And he saw his dad just kind of take these steps um, of leadership, these steps of following Jesus, these steps of saying, no matter what the cost, this is how I'm gonna lead my family. And I think Brandon just saw his rising out of certain adverse situations as just being, as exuding so much strength. When I was younger, my perspective on my dad's childhood he, w he didn't speak to me a, a lot about it when I was really young, but I could make up just from being around family that it was much different than, than what I was growing up in. My dad was a boxer. Um, he tried to control his you know, emotions sometimes, and there was times that um, situations got out of control, so much so that my mom would bring a gun, pointing at me and my dad, and tell my dad to stop. And Like my dad was never violent with me but I knew from the stories that his father was sometimes um, physical with him. And so I could tell like my dad was, my dad was really like unlearning or learning again. To Brandon, that was such a huge example because that's an important thing for Brandon too, of going stakes in the ground. Like I wanna live a life that has certain values that I live by and stand by. And so seeing his dad do that, I think it pushed him to do that more. And he felt safe with his dad. He felt encouraged by his dad. He felt pushed by his dad. Um, they were able to have a dynamic relationship that went back and forth. I think that he just saw so much strength in his dad. I think that's what he was so attracted to. Yeah, my dad all growing up exuded the kind of strength that I am now, you know, I, I try and attempt to exude as a father now, you know, between the ages of 18 and 22. I remember saying repeatedly, like, I don't even know how I can build on how my parents raised me and how my dad raised me. They just did such a phenomenal job. When I think about um, God our Father and think about me being a father and then think about Brandon being my son, I think the, the, the way I identify with this the most is when Brandon's children come to our place, they come into our house and um, they own it. They know where things are, they, they ask questions, they trust, they, whatever we do, we push them on a swing, they trust us. And, and um, God asks us to become a child again. And as we get adults, we, come, we have all these fears and all these experiences we go through that we, are, we, we immediately 
our mind comes to defend ourselves. We don't do this because we go down there, we're gonna get hurt. If we go down here, we're gonna get hurt. But a child doesn't think that way. A child just comes in and trusts mom and dad, trusts the parents. And uh, for me, the way I look at my relationship with God is that's, that's the trust I wanna have. And I've, in my life, I've been able to do some things that I'm surprised by because I don't think I have the talents for it. But God has shown favor because I literally trust him to do those things. When I get into a situation where I don't think I have the capabilities, I just trust God to do that. And it started off when I was a child, I would be playing hockey in the long grass and I would lose my ball and I couldn't find it. This happened on a regular basis. And I would pray to God and I said, God, you help me find that ball. And every time I found that ball, I, I had this unique relationship with God as a child. And um, so when I get older and I start to question things or doubt things, I literally have to go back to what it is like a child to just believe. Yeah, you should have added color to it. Yeah, you're right. That'd be a better photo. Yeah, I like that other one. I both look young and not that young. Oh, and we, and we... We were straight out of university. We were married for two years at that point. I was 22, Brandon was 23. So we were coming in, we had no like practical ministry experience outside of university. So there was this, I mean, every young person, there is a level of confidence of like, I know what I'm doing until you're in it. And then you're like, oh, I feel a little lost here. Like, oh, maybe I don't know how to read a map. Maybe I don't know exactly which way is north. The early parts of the transition to embassy was really great. It was filled with a lot of hope, but also a lot of expectation. At one point there was hundreds of students coming but when we were taking it over, there was fewer than 30. We got there and half the people left. Um, so we were down to about 10 people. One of the first things we did, they were having pizza at the end. And I mean, everyone's probably listening going, why don't we still have pizza? But they were having pizza at the end of, uh, of the services and we cut the pizza and um, the person who had like one of the only people who had been financially giving to the embassy was like, well, I'm not coming anymore <laughs> because they were wanting the pizza. continued going down that path with Embassy and we saw God bring people and we saw lives being changed and transformed and it was pretty incredible on Monday nights to be meeting and having hundreds of university students coming and worshiping God and lives being literally transformed, seeing people baptized, and it was pretty amazing to see at the same time we were going, okay, we're about to start a family. We're looking at um, having a baby and, and thinking about all of that. Just as things were kind of on the up and up and, you know, up and to the right, so to speak, I became somewhat dissatisfied with what I was seeing. I saw what we were doing more as a young adult collective than something that was furthering the kingdom of God in this area. And God placed the, the dream of an intergenerational church on the hearts of Emma and I. And so we started transitioning embassy into that direction. So there was this process of actually shutting down something that was going so well on the outside to everyone's perspective to live in obedience with what God was calling us to do. We shut down Embassy in early 2017. We had started a launch team for Slate and um, we were just kind of once again walking into the wilderness, walking into the unknown of what this is gonna actually mean and look like. 
Launch Sunday was a, a very nerve-wracking experience. Going in, we didn't know what to expect. Uh, we launched with two evening services on the Sunday evening because all we knew how to do were evening services. We had never done anything in the morning. And we put kids in a building 800 meters away from our actual main meeting spot. Like parents would have to drop their kids off. It was nuts. People just kept coming. Our group of 80 people on our launch team somehow corralled 600 people for our launch. Every outside opinion and even our surface level thoughts on the whole thing was that we, like we had made it as a church. Um, it, was a, it was a pretty big success. So success seems to be one of those things where you feel like you just want more of it. But at the time there was this idea that if you have a lot of people, somehow you're successful. It didn't take too long to allow numbers to go to your head. I remember I would get up there and one of the most common phrases that I would say to our church is that our church is about hope, not hype. And honestly, I think during that season, I was trying to convince myself we were about hope and not hype. Like we, we were bursting at the seams. Worship was amazing. Like we just had this whole experience of going, oh, people are actually hungry for this. And it was pretty surreal. I mean, we had, I believe five services across three locations. We were asking volunteers to go to as many of those services as possible. We were doing a woman's conference, Christmas productions, Easter, um, big Easter events. Um, uh, we were doing party in the parks, um, uh, patio parties, uh, had, had large expectations on social media teams and on volunteer teams. And it felt like a really big ship that was getting really hard to turn uh, in different directions. And again, at the time, this is hindsight, we probably couldn't have even verbalized that. I mean, Brandon was doing a great job, like Victoria were there, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun things happening. But then there were also these things of, these signs of maybe lack of health in certain areas that we weren't addressing at the time. Um, and lack of health perhaps within Brandon that we weren't addressing at the time. Just over a year ago, we were in just a difficult situation, um, trying to navigate things. And it really kind of was the, the straw that broke the camel's back for Brandon, where it was just going, okay, I can't keep going on this way, like in my life, in my in my personal life. And I remember one time not being able to get a hold of him. Like I just couldn't get a hold of him and I knew he was really struggling and and no one really knew how much he was struggling in that at that point. When Emma found me, I was just done. Um, Like honestly, like one of the thoughts that came to my mind is just like, what's the point of living? Like, what? I couldn't get out of that thought. And so I was just sitting there. Like I was just numb to the world. I don't know, I don't even know how long I was sitting there. There were warning signs and looking back, I can see them and now I'm, I'm more able to pick up on them. But uh, at the time I was just deteriorating inside. 
I think based on a lot of expectations I felt others had put on me, both in our church or um, just in, in the culture around us of what's expected of pastors. I was trying to be the best version of me without the strength of God helping me. I remember one, one day where my dad, um, my dad was quite fearful for me, knowing what I was going through and, and drove through the night to be with me. He came through the, the door and, um, and he just kind of wrapped me in his arms and we just, like he just held me in that embrace for, for about a half an hour. It was, it was a really special moment. He just said, like he was crying. Um, I've seen my dad cry, but not like that. And I just realized, like, I never want to put anybody in this position again where, like, I just want to stay healthy. I want to be healthy. I think there was more of this revelation of, I can't just live to please everybody else. And, to do, like, I have to live as this child of God. Like, I have to live with my identity in Him and know that He actually accepts me and loves me Yeah, in my kids, I see so many glimmers of how I want to be. You know, I see in, in Kenzie just this desire to, to really please Emma and I. And not in an unhealthy way, but just this like genuine desire like, hey, look what I made. Or in Theo, every time I ask Theo how his day's gone, his answer is, great. And it just puts a smile on your face. Or Claire, she just like, she runs around and and the, just the wind blowing in her hair, and it's like she's gotten, she's got zero care in the world. And so when I see my kids just operating, it's a reminder to me that that freedom of spirit, that, that like lightness in their step, that um, the joy that you see on their face, like that's all stuff that I can actually get from God my Father. And the thing that is often just limiting it is the stuff that I need to unlearn. Yeah, if other people in our, yeah, and if other people in our church can get to the point where they stop trying to prove prove themselves to everybody and just realize that God accepts them, like that's a win. Throughout my whole life, I've tried to continue to boil down what foundation I can build my life on. What are the values and the principles that I can build my life on because the world is full of noise and I just need to know those few things that are really important for me to, to really build on. And I am completely convinced, and this is a, this is a process that you've seen uh, even through this, that has taken my whole life to get to, but I am completely convinced that the, the most foundational thing that we must build our lives on is our identity as children of God. That process is incredib incredibly difficult. It's one that takes immense amounts of vulnerability. A child is not one that is strong before, it's, before, it's, it's, uh, before their parent. A child is not one that, that exudes these outward ideas of strength that our world often talks about, but it's actually one of vulnerability. It's one of, of, of innocence. It's one of, of transparent in front of their parents. And my encouragement to all of us 
is that we'd spend the rest of our lives uncovering this reality of what being a child looks like. When Jesus tells everyone, you must be born again. And even throughout scripture, there's people that ask him like, what does that mean? One person even asks him, do you mean I actually must go back into my mother's womb? Like that's like, what do you mean? And yet it's in the uncovering of being born again by God, becoming a child again in, his, in, in, in the way that we relate to God as Father, that we actually find the richness and the depth of what we're actually looking for in this life. It's an incredibly difficult process. It's one that has taken me not just the last year, but it's taken me my whole life to understand and, and will take the rest of my life to continue to understand just how God actually sees me, just how God actually loves me, how he wants to protect me, how in my vulnerability, he's actually there for me, how in the midst of the chaos of the world around me, he's actually continuing to lead me. And that at the end of the day, that I can approach him with innocence and wonder and awe and joy and patience and all of these things that we so deeply long for in our innermost being, that I can approach him with that and that he's gonna accept me as I am. It's in that place that I actually find myself growing into the person I wanna become. And so this is a series that we've taken a lot of time with. It's a series that we've spent a lot of intentionality with, and it's not a series that's going anywhere. This is a building block for us as a church, and it's an urge for everybody that has seen this documentary, whether you go to Slate Church or not, or if, if, if uh, you do go to Slate, my urge and my encouragement to all of us is let's spend the rest of our lives discovering and asking this question, what does it mean to be a child again? What does it look like to be a part of the family of God? Because that reality will change the world that we live in. And better yet, it'll change us and make us more uh, the people that we actually want to become. Thanks again for listening to our Sunday podcast. To hear more messages like these, be sure to share and subscribe. We're thankful for all that God is doing in our church right now. We would love to have you be a part of what is going on. You can connect with us by filling out a connect card online at slatechurch.com. And hey, stay tuned for more content coming soon.